Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, doing the Margaritaville dance, right? The Jimmy Buffett dance. Listen, I want to start by saying yesterday I had a little bit of a freak out. I was telling Paul earlier, I was watching the Olympics, and about every 10 minutes they would say, here, Sunday morning uh, in Japan. And I had this freak out like, oh no, it's Sunday morning. I'm supposed to be somewhere. So hopefully you got to watch some of the Olympics and got uh, plugged in. But there was one particular athlete uh, he, it's amazing. He, he is both in the uh, Winter Olympics and he's also in the Summer Olympics. He's in both. He's a, a skier, but also a basketball player. And so that, to me, that change of position got me thinking, right? Have you ever been in a place where you had to change your position, maybe, uh, or, or even a job, like a job change that you had to change without a moment's notice? You just had to do it, right? And now if you, if you have, you know the kind of pressure that I'm talking about. It's a, it's a unique kind of pressure. Right? I remember a particular instance years ago from my own life. Uh, initially, I had a different position on the football team that I enjoyed. Right? But about six months in, they switched my position without any notice. Right, And they gave me this reason, and you've heard me say it before, but they said, Andrew, you run too long in the same spot. That was the reason they gave me for changing my position, right? It was their nice way of saying, Andrew, you are slow. So I went from a linebacker to a defensive lineman, and I was tasked with making a quick move and rushing the quarterback on long yardage plays, right? The only problem was, is I'd never been in a role like this before, right? This was, this was new to me, and if you know anything about football, I was used to being a run-first type player. That's what my experience up to this point was all about, but now I had to be a pass rusher. So the first thing the coach said to me when I made this move was, Andrew, how many sacks, right, a good thing, how many tackles are you going to make this next week? How many do you think you can get? And I said, I I don't know, maybe zero, <laughs> right? right? I was terrified. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And despite my fear, right, that was my position, right? And unless I was ready to quit and walk away, which, which I would not do, right, this was my new reality, right? My new, my, my new life, right? And we would evaluate my performance and discuss what was working and what wasn't working every Sunday, Right? The, the coach would call us all in, and we would watch film, and we would look at the statistics, and we would discuss our performance. Right? And I, I fumbled my way through the first few months right, in this new position. Right? And I do admit that I did learn a lot along the way. Right? Some days were good days, and some days were just awful. Right? It, was, it was a nerve-wracking experience, and not to mention, right, I had a coach that would, uh, was like a mastermind or a, a Jedi in the, the ways of, of making us nervous and, and do the wrong thing, right? making, us, making us more wrecked than we already were. 
And so one thing that I noticed was that after time in those film sessions, when they called us in and we evaluated everything, if we had a good day, right, instead of just patting us on the back, he, he would say, now do this, right? right? He would make a suggestion for the next day or for the next game. It, it was like he dangled this carrot always right in front of us, just out of reach, right? There was like this, this carrot that he put there just out of reach, something that we just, we couldn't grab a hold of. And it seemed like, like the unspoken mantra of our meetings, of the film sessions and, and, and evaluations was always this, do better, <laughs> Just do better, be better, right? And no matter how hard I tried, I never seemed to measure up. Now, maybe you can't relate to this specific instance, right? But, but, but I'm sure you can probably relate to the overall feeling of inadequacy in some area of your life, right? right? If you have kids, for example, I'm sure you can relate, right? You're constantly trying to tell them to do something, I've heard you parents do this, right? You're, you're trying to get them to do something, to, to behave, right? If your kids are young, getting them to brush their teeth or, or take a bath or, or do their homework, eat their vegetables, uh, be nice to their siblings, trying to get them to, to fall asleep at night or clean their rooms can feel like a, a job, a full-time sales job, really, right? You're negotiating, really, right? And when they finally do fall asleep at night, you sit back and you are exhausted and you take an exhaustive inventory of your performance as a parent, right? I mean, you, even when you look at your kids' report cards or uh, when you attend a, a parent-teacher uh, conference, those, those moments can make you feel like it's a performance review for your own parenting, right? So, so without realizing it, you parents often think things kind of along the same lines that I did when I changed positions, right? I'll just do better tomorrow, or ah, I'll do better next year at their birthday, or I'll, I'll do better focusing on the behaviors next week. I'll, I'll do better being patient and using kind words the next time that particular instance happens. Right, so no matter what the example is, whether it's my silly example of changing football positions or being a parent or whatever it is that makes you kind of feel a little inadequate, take a look, right? Take a look. It seems like, right, it seems like the carrot is always dangling just outside of our reach. Right, that's what, that's what it can feel like sometimes, that there's a carrot that is just always just right there, just right outside of our reach, right? We have very few moments where we stop, where we, where we take a deep breath, right, and say, I'm okay. I'm doing a good job, right? But it's not just parents who feel this way, right? Or like I said, my stupid example of changing positions, right? We also carry the same feelings as spouses, as, as friends, as, as sons, as daughters, as, as brothers and sisters and employees and employers. We still have these same feelings, right? And yes, we have these feelings with our relationship with Jesus, with, with following Jesus, right? Take a look and think about this, right? We spend more time with ourselves than anyone else, right? right? We, we spend more time with ourselves than we do with anybody else. We are able to see our own thoughts, 
motives, actions, right? Our own motivations for things. And when we evaluate, right? When we evaluate ourselves, just like we do in, in film sessions and sports or, or like we do at parent-teacher conferences or just at the long end of a long day sitting there on the couch, right? When we evaluate ourselves as Christians, people forging a lifelong reliance on God, right? The results are simple, right? right? We, we start to think. We start to, we start to think this, right? We're not measuring up. We're not measuring up. No matter what the situation is, we start to think, well, we're not measuring up if we're being honest about evaluating our faith. I mean, let's face it, right? Most of us spend most of our lives a little disappointed in ourselves or at least wishing maybe we, we did something a little bit different in our past, right? And if you're disappointed, and if we're disappointed at ourselves, Right? If we're distracted by, uh, by missing something in our own lives or, or disappointed in something that we've done, we think God must be disappointed in us too. Right? If we're disappointed with ourselves, he has to be disappointed with us too, right? Because he is perfect, after all, right? He, he's perfect, and he sees every part of who we are and every single thing that we do and every single thing that we think he knows, and so how could he not be disappointed? with our review of our, of our life. <laughs> now, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> God created me, right? So, so, of course, he loves me. And I, I get that. I think about that a lot. But, but sometimes I think he, he, he likes me, uh, but he just doesn't really like me. You know, Christina puts it this way. Sometimes when I'm pestering her, right, right when, when I'm bugging her, she says, Andrew, I love you, but I don't like you right now. <laughs> Right? <laughs> she says that to me a lot. All right, Andrew, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Right? I, sometimes I think that's what God, right, if I'm being honest, says about me sometimes. Andrew, I, I love you. I, I created you. I just don't like you right now. And I, think, I, I think it's some, the same thing with God. I do. Right? And I think that's because of a nagging sense that I'm not measuring up to a, a certain standard. Some certain certain level that I'm supposed to be at, right? And when we struggle with feelings like this, many of us react in one of these two ways, right? The first is this, right? Take a look. We distance ourselves from God, right? When we think we just don't measure up or, or that, that uh, we're disappointed in ourselves and therefore God must be disappointed in us, one of the ways that we may react to this is that we distance ourselves from God. Right, in my new position, when I was having a low-performing day, right, the last thing that I wanted to do was meet with my coach. <laughs> that was the last thing that I wanted to do. I dreaded those, those film sessions with every ounce of my being. I, I worried that he would be mad at me or disappointed in me. I thought he would lecture me and make me feel even worse. But on the other hand, right, if I had exceeded the goals that we set for myself the day before, right, I didn't mind meeting with the coach at all, right? I looked, I looked forward to those meetings. I didn't dread those meetings. And sometimes it's the same way with God, right, with our relationship with him, right? If we assume that he's disappointed in us because we don't measure up for some reason or for whatever reason, we try to run from him and hide from him or avoid him altogether, 
All right, that's one way that we can react. The second way we can react when we don't measure up or when we think we don't measure up is this. We just do more, right? We just do more, right? We lean into our work, right? And that's a simple concept that, that in striving to do our best in whatever position, job, whatever it may be, right, in your performance, if you're doing poorly, you need to do more. Right? You need to work harder and longer. You need to double down your efforts to produce more and better results. Right? And we often take the same approach with God, with our relationship with him. If we're not measuring up, then we think we need to, to work harder. We need to, we need to pray more. We need to read our Bible more or, or try to be more patient, kind, and, and loving. Or, or we need to get involved in church more. We need to invite our, our friends to church more. Right? But even though these reactions are common, the reality is this. Right? We don't have to feel this way. Right? We don't have to feel this way. Right? And we know this because Jesus himself addressed this very issue, this, this tension that we need to look at this morning, this, this feeling of inadequacy and, and having an impact on forging our life on God. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. And that's where we're going to be for the whole day. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you to give, to use, to take, to have. Or if you're watching online or if you're here, you can download that Foundry Burke app. And again, it'll only take you a few seconds. You download the app and click the Bible tab. And Luke chapter 7 is already pulled up there for you. So as you're turning there or downloading the app, let me give you a little bit of context. Right? The book of Luke records a time when Jesus attended a dinner party with a group of religious leaders called Pharisees. Right? They were extremely uh, religious and had a very specific and narrow way to follow God, this, this group of Pharisees in Luke chapter 7. Right? In a Pharisee's mind, following God, forging their life on God, meant following all the rules. Even the rules that were around the rules. Right? And so once they heard that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, right? and the Messiah just means the, the Son of God. So once they, they heard that Jesus claimed to be the, the actual Son of God, they were skeptical, to say the least. They, they were skeptical. And so one of the Pharisees, a man named Simon, invited Jesus to this dinner party so they could question him about his claims of being the Messiah. All right, and let's dig in. All right? Let's start in verse 36 of chapter, chapter 7. It says this, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Right, verse 38 says, Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, crying, where tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She then, right, then she kept kissing his feet and putting the perfume on them. Now, listen, this sounds strange, right? 
I get it. This is, this is a little bit weird, but in this culture, it was common to wash a guest's feet. Right? I know, a little, a little weird, right? Everyone wore sandals, and they walked everywhere. They didn't have cars, right? And so their feet got pretty dirty and dusty, and they were, they were, they were filthy. And so a, a, a host would allow their, their guest to wash their feet. They may even, even be there to help with this process, right? And still, though, this particular encounter right? It may have felt awkward for a lot of people there. It really was, right? This, this dinner host certainly did not like the idea of a sinful woman crashing the party. So let's, let's keep looking, verses 39 through 40, right? Because when the Pharisee, right, the, the host, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. All right, keep your your finger there. When we look at the life of Jesus and study all of his different interactions, we learn that this accusation is, is a bit comical. It really is, right? The Pharisee thought that if Jesus knew that the woman was a sinner, there was no way that Jesus, he, would allow her to be close to him in any way, shape, or form. Right? But when we study the life of Jesus, when we look at those interactions, all the accounts of Jesus' life, we will see that he was around sinners all the time. All the time, he was around sinners, right? In fact, society's lowest people sought him out, right? They would, they would risk being, being mocked by the, the good people just to be next to him, right? They followed him through the towns and through the deserts to spend time with him, right? People who, who didn't measure up, right? People who, who, who just said to themselves, I don't measure up. Right, people like, like fishermen and people, people like, like prostitutes and lepers and, and, and greedy and dishonest tax collectors. Right? They would seek him out. They would follow him. Now, obviously, this woman knew she did not measure up to any kind of religious standard. Right? She knew that she was a sinner, and that is what drove her straight to the feet of Jesus. That's what's exciting, right? right? Take a look. This is what's so cool, right? Her appreciation for Jesus was fueled by her recognition of her own inadequacy. <laughs> it's flipping it right on the head, right? Her appreciation for Jesus was fueled, was, was sparked, was, was, was stoked by her recognition of her own inadequacy, right? She did not hide from Jesus, <laughs> She didn't hide from Jesus when, when she did not measure up. Right? Instead, this feeling of inadequacy pulled her to the only thing that she knew, right? The only thing that she could do, and that was draw close to Jesus. Right? In response to, to Simon, Jesus goes on and he, he shares this hypothetical scenario in the next few verses. Let's, let's look at it. Verses 41 through 48, all right? He says, then Jesus told him this story, right? He told this to Simon. A man loaned money to two people, 
500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now he says, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Well, that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman, right, kneeling here. Right, when I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Right, you, right, talking to Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. A custom, a tradition of uh, like soothing, right? like offering a warm towel or or lotion, right? You didn't offer olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Listen, Jesus... (laughs) He recognized that by the world standard, this woman did not measure up. Right? By, the, by the world standard, this, this woman did not measure up. He even says, like, she has sinned a lot. Right? Right? But the truth is, none of us measure up. Just the truth. Right? None of us measures up. Right? And as, as the sooner we realize that God loves us anyways... Right, the, the sooner we will appreciate his grace and his forgiveness. <laughs> when we realize that we don't have to have our, our act together, that, that none of us have our act together, we will be aware of our need for a rescuer, right? for the Messiah, the Son of God, for, for the Savior. When we realize that we are all sinners, every one of us, we will all know that we are desperately in need of Jesus each and every day. That's when we have a decision to make. When we realize this need, that we don't measure up, we have a decision to make. And the first decision is this. Do we continue to feel like we fall short and are unworthy to be loved by God? Or, Or can we follow the lead of this sinful woman and take our brokenness straight to the feet of Jesus? That's our decision. Once we realize we just don't measure up, it's, it's true, right? When we realize we just don't measure up, do we just go on feeling unworthy? Inadequate? We take the lead from this woman and realize that we can take anything, our brokenness, our inadequacy, to the very feet of the Savior of the world. Right? Can we express our appreciation for his love and receive his grace and forgiveness? Listen, lean in. Right? We need to grab a hold of this truth. You can experience freedom. We can experience freedom from feelings less than worthy or inadequate. Right? We can live in the reality of his unconditional love. Right? We can hold on to the unshakable truth that God loves us no matter what we have done. We can grab a hold of that. 
And listen, I really, really listen. Experiencing this freedom, experiencing this freedom starts with this, forging your life on God. Forging your life on God. Whether you've been following him for a hundred years or if you have yet accepted this grace, his salvation for the first time, it's a daily process over and over again. Forging our life on God. Now to do that, right, all right, to, to do that, there are three things that, that will help you when you feel like you just don't measure up. And when you feel like you don't measure up, you gotta realize you gotta forge your life on God daily, right? And specifically, there are three things that are essential to help us to realize that, to do that, to, 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 to realize that we need to forge our life on God when we don't measure up, right? The first is this. We gotta know that we can be real with God. We gotta know that we can be real with the God of the universe, the creator of the world, right? Jesus was comfortable when sinners followed him from town to town. He went into their homes, he ate meals with them, and he hung out with them. He was close to God the Father, but he was also close to those who were far from God. He was comfortable, right? Even though a lot of religious people were convinced that God wanted nothing to do with sinners, Jesus came to earth and proved otherwise, right? We can, we can dig into our lives. We can evaluate and, and look at all the, the, the ugly stuff, and we can bring it to God. We can bring it to God, Right? He's not going to freak out. In fact, he already knows that they're there. Right? When it comes to our sins, and, and sin just means missing the mark. It's an archery term. Right? We miss the bullseye. Right? And when we miss, there's, there's nothing better than being vulnerable with God and asking for our Savior's help to get back on track, to get back on aim, to hit the bullseye. Because that is when we can finally admit that we are sick, that we can't do it on our own, that we need a physician, a savior to help us hit the mark with our life. All right, that's one thing. All right, and then we can also do this. Know that you can worship God. When you're feeling inadequate, when you're feeling like you don't measure up, know that you have to forge your life on God. And to help you do that, know you can worship God anytime, anywhere, anyplace, right? This woman brought an alabaster jar to Jesus, and she worshiped him with it, all right? She did not pretend to be someone she was not, all right? She didn't pretend to be one of the guests of the party. She just came, came to her Savior's feet. She did not cover up her sin with pride, and she did not stay away out of shame. She came. Right? And when we are aware of our need for God, it can fuel greater joy in our worship. Right? Because we are worshiping a God who loves us no matter what. Now third, right? You got to know that you're loved by God. Right? When we are feeling inadequate, when we feel like we don't measure up, when we're like, okay, I'm going to forge my life on God. To do that, know that you are loved by God. God does not wait for people to measure up, right? He doesn't wait for people to measure up in order to extend his, his love and grace to them, right? You don't have to, to measure up before you begin to forge your life on God. He loves you, and he loves me exactly as we are 
right now. Right, he's, he's not waiting for us to, to get to some point where we pass a moral sniff test before he gives us his grace. It's already there. It's already available. In fact, the more we understand that we are loved by God, the more we will appreciate him, which will in turn motivate us to follow him in a new way of living, to live our best lives, a life that is forged on him. Right? His love for us is unconditional, and it is extravagant. Right? It is a gift that we do not deserve. And that's what grace is. I mean, that's the exact definition of grace. A gift uh, that we do not deserve. Right? When we feel inadequate, when we feel like we don't measure up, when we evaluate ourselves and just think, oh, I'm below the line. We can forge our life on God. No matter where we are in our relationship with him, we can forge our life on God. We can worship him. We can know that we're loved. We can, we can be real with him. We can understand the truths that he's placed in our lives and hold tight to it. As the band comes back up, let me say this. Every time you feel like you don't measure up, Every time, allow that feeling to be a reminder to forge your life on God. That's where it's at, right? Daily, even if you, like we said, been following God for a hundred years, or you still have not accepted his gift of salvation, the initial forging your life on God. Remember, you don't have to run and hide. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to earn your way back into God's love with some kind of performance. You don't have to impress God with how much you're capable of doing. You just have to run to God. Be like this woman. Run to God and be at his feet and be loved by him. He longs for us to do that. And so as we stand right now, as we continue to worship him and give him honor and glory, let's thank him for this chance to live life his way, by his standards and not our own. For the chance to live our best life, a life that is forged on him. Let's thank him for his mighty and powerful love. Let's sing together.